So anyway, I'm continuing a series in our Live Like Jesus series this evening, and it's called Become Who You Are. And I remember when Alice, who heads up our preaching team, first shared that title, I was like, oh, does that make sense? I was like, yeah, it absolutely makes sense. Become who you are is the idea that God already knows who you are, and that the process of being a disciple is to become who you are, who he made you to be, who he created you to be. Paul spoke last week um, about I am redeemed. And in it, he gave the portrait, he gave this picture of the Clifton Bridge that he shared. And it's this idea that actually the artist created that picture. And if we want to know who we are, then we look to our creator. And so we go back to the Lord and we're like, God, who, who am I? He's He's got stuff for us. He's got identity to put on us. But in the world in which we live, so often we're adrift. It's like, who am I? It's like, the Lord will tell me who I am. And that's why this series is so foundational. It's like the foundations of who we are made as Christians. And so Alice started with, I'm a child of God. Paul spoke about, I am redeemed. And then this week I'm talking about, I am a new creation. I love Alice had a little quote in her talk, and it says this, our current culture's approach to identity is like trying to anchor a boat to itself. Isn't that a great picture? I read it, and I had a little chuckle to myself. I was like, that is a really, and then she goes, it doesn't work. Uh, Christian identity is anchoring the boat on the deepest of foundations possible, the cornerstone himself. So I'm looking today at the phrase, I am a new creation. And it's funny because this, this is the last time I'm going to preach this talk. I've done the West, the North, and Central Morning. And um, for some of the older ones amongst us, I'm probably talking to the over 35s in the room, of which there are seven of us. So for the seven of us, I'm not looking at you, Justin and Julia, just so you know. <laughs> 21 again. Okay. There's a song... I am a new creation, and there's the next line. There we go. There we go. So this is an age thing, but whenever I think, suddenly you're like, oh, but this was big in my day. This was like oceans, you, you know. I mean, this was like where you've got your songs. I don't know what it is. What, okay, Sam, what would the equivalent be now? What a beautiful name. Well, okay, this was the I am a new creation, 1992, Dave Bilbrough. And so, anyway, for me, those two things are synonymous. They go together. But I am a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says this. Key scripture. Therefore, if it, anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And Paul talked about being redeemed from something. And I'm talking about being redeemed to something this evening. So what are we redeemed into? And I, th I think the first one is that we're redeemed into a new kingdom. Now, part of human nature is that it seems that we have to keep learning the same lessons over and over again. Take a moment to think, for those of you who made a New Year's resolution, some of you, how similar was it to the years before? So often, we make the same New Year's resolution every year. And it's really just this idea that sometimes we're trying to change. We are trying to change. We are trying to be transformed. And it's like, God, why do I find this so difficult? 
Why do I struggle so much to change? Why do I feel like I'm doing the same thing? I'm trying to break this pattern. Let me, if you've been in this church for any amount of time, on a Sunday I will talk and I'll be like, do you know what? If you really, really want to shift your life, I'm going to give you a really, really good piece of advice. Read the Bible every day. And all of you have nailed it. So that's awesome. Um, no, but it's just that idea though, isn't it? It's like we, sometimes we talk about the same things. And we even, if we've been a Christian for a while, we even know what the answer is. <laughs> I know what I need to do. Therefore, why do I not do what I want to do? And actually, I'm talking out of Romans today. And that's Romans 7, which I'm not going to be looking at. But it's like, there's this beautiful passage. And it's like, why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? And the things that I want to do, I don't do. So for some of you, when I'm talking about a new kingdom, you're like, I'm on board, James. In fact, I've heard you talk about this before. I'm part of a new kingdom. I'd come back and be like, yeah, but do you really know that you're part of a new kingdom? So there's one thing to know something, you know, theologically. It's like, I'm part of a new kingdom. And for those of you who who have faith, you'd sit there and be like, of course I'm part of a new kingdom. Yeah, but how do you live in the new kingdom? Are you living in the kingdom of light? What's that actually looking like day to day? And so we're going to be diving into Romans 5 to 8. Now, this is quite a wide talk today. You're going to travel some ground. You're going to travel some scripture. And I'm not sorry. Just want to be honest about that. But Romans 5 to 8 chapters are really, I think, the best bit in scripture that talks about what it looks like to change. So this idea of transformation, when I'm like, oh, why do I keep doing the same thing? If we really, really want to change, I believe it's absolutely possible. So firstly, I think it is possible. And how do we actually do it? How do we keep changing? So Romans 5 and Romans 6 really talk about this idea that you are tra- when you come to faith, you are transferred from one kingdom to another. Now, I'm going to read a large chunk now of Romans 5. And the re- what I tried to do is I tried to take out some nice snippets. I tried to take out some nice verses. And I realized, do you know what? Sometimes it's just so much more powerful to read the whole thing. Because it's in context. And you're like, oh, I really get what Paul's talking about. And the weight of Scripture. I think there's power in reading Scripture. And so I'm going to read most of this chapter to you, but I want you to feel the weight of what's going on between the kingdom or the realm of Adam and the realm of Christ. That's the picture. The old nature and the new nature is what we see. And they're being paralleled throughout this passage. Old nature. This is what you used to be like, but this is what I've called you to be now. This is what it feels like living in the new kingdom. So we're going to pick it up in verse 6 of chapter 5. You see, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, we can stick on that verse for a while, can't we? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the sin of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Again, you can see it going back and forth. This was Adam, the realm of Adam. This is who you are in Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all the people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's on one hand, quite a complicated passage. On the other hand, actually quite simple when you really break it down. Paul Chick pictures two realms. And this is the language that you pick up. The realm of Adam. Now, I often feel a little bit sorry for Adam. That we sit there and we're like, this is what it means to live in darkness. <laughs> and then we have the realm of Christ. You know, it's like, oh, poor old Adam. But the realm of Adam, sin, death, condemnation, law, the old age. Then on the other side, you've got the realm of Christ. You've got life, righteousness, justification, grace, the realm of Christ, the new age. So the, the old age, the new age. And the, and the question that Paul is asking is he's saying, which, which realm are you living un, in? Under which government do you sit? Which kingdom are you a part of? The government of Adam or the government of Christ, the government of the law, or the government of grace, the government of sin, or the government of righteousness, the government of death, or the government of life, the government of condemnation, or the government of justification. Where are you living? Under what power are you living? What Lord? Under what ruler? Under what master are you living? What this passage and what the whole of Romans 5 to 8 talk about is We've been transferred to a new kingdom. We're under a new government. We're under new rulership. We are a new creation. The old way of thinking is done. The old way of living is basically like, do not live that way anymore. That is the old way of thinking. Do not stay there. And we're called to live a different way under the reign of the gospel, under the power of the gospel. It's a different way of living. I, gave this, I give this analogy when we're talking about baptism and baptism um, and because it goes on in chapter six to talk about baptism but in the Iraqi war um, there were about 10,000 soldiers that came to faith obviously when you're in a life and death situation suddenly you are confronted with eternal issues aren't you and so what happened is 10,000 soldiers got baptized and the way 
in the Gulf, at that, you know, really low on water. So what they did is instead is for the soldiers, they would lay them down in a coffin to symbolize you are dead to the old way of living. And then they would raise them up again out of that coffin and say, and now you live a new life. Can you see how powerful that is? And this picture of baptism that we're given here, I think baptism is a really, really significant part of the Christian life. And actually, within our culture, sometimes we underestimate baptism. So what we do is we, somebody will be like, oh, do you know what? I've come to faith. But and they, over the next 10 years, they might go, oh, do you know what? I might get around to getting baptized one day. But they divorce coming to faith from baptism. What happens in baptism in this picture that I'm talking about, when we are baptized, we are put under the water and we are washed clean. It's symbolic, but there's also power in baptism. Because when we're talking about this old way of living, it's like, we, we remember our baptism. I can remember my baptism. And I go back and I'm like, I don't live like that anymore. I was raised into a new kingdom. I live in a new way. That's not the kingdom I live under anymore. So my encouragement is, if you haven't been baptized, sorry, this is not meant to be a guilt thing. This is more an invitation to the power of baptism. I'm saying baptism is powerful because we die to our old life. And we say, I'm going to live in a new way. I live for King Jesus. I'm under a different rulership. He is my Lord. Uh, Romans 6, 2 says this. We are those who've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? It's like, I'm, I'm dead to it. It doesn't have a hold on. So what does it really, what does the Apostle Paul mean when he says Christians have died to sin? I mean, it's a big old theological chestnut I'm diving into right now. It doesn't mean that we will never sin again. He doesn't mean as Christians, we are totally insensitive to the draw and allure of sin. What the Apostle Paul is talking about is dying to sin, is dying to the rule and reign of sin over our lives. It's like, it no longer has a hold on me. I no longer live under that kingdom. That's not, there is no agreement here. I'm not a part of that. And Paul is portraying in this passage sin as a kind of lord, as a kind of master exercising authority over a realm. And he's saying to Christians, you used to live under that realm. You no longer do. That's not where you are anymore. You are in the kingdom of light. Two kingdoms, kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. And coming back to, you know, both in the morning service and the evening service, we've talked about kind of street cafe, people talking to people about faith on on the streets. Often within our culture, we will talk about the journey of faith. And it's like people are on a journey. I th- but when we come down to it, though, there is a moment where we move th- from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. There is a transfer that goes on. And this is what this passage is talking about. It's saying, you no longer live that way. When you, when you proclaim that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are transferred into a new kingdom. What happens in that moment is the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. That is a sign. It's a deposit of the kingdom to say, you have a new ruler. I mean, even God goes as far as saying, I'm going to put myself in you. I'm going to put a part of me in you, the Holy Spirit, who's going to testify to me. So now when we're living in a new kingdom, we're not sitting there going, do you know what? I'm helpless. I don't know how to do this. He's like, I put myself in you. That, that's what we're given. That's the power. You used to live, we used to live in a country that was dominated by a king named Sin. 
But you know something? Jesus, the Messiah, the conquering king, came into this world as a savior. And he entered a country that was ruled by this Lord named Sin. And this evil king put Jesus, the savior, to death. And that was the ultimate power that the king named Sin had, the power of death. That was his power. But Jesus was too holy and he was too powerful for this weapon of death. And so he rose again and he defeated that king and he entered a new kingdom and a new realm, the kingdom of God. And now Paul says, here's what's happened to you. When you place your faith in Jesus, what happens is that by faith, you are joining yourself to Jesus and all that Jesus is and all that Jesus did. It's pretty massive, isn't it? Maybe it's just me. It's big. Transferred. So when I'm saying we're transferred to a new kingdom, that is not a small deal. That is huge. It changes everything. The way that we look at everything changes. To die to sin is to no longer be a citizen of that country. It's like, I no longer go there. Sin no longer has authority over your life. It no longer has to dominate your life. You've renounced your citizenship papers from the land of your birth, and you've recognized a different king. I feel like I'm slightly laboring this point, but I'm like, when I, sometimes I'm like, oh, this is so huge. It's like, Phew. Now, just because you've gone through this change, just because you've torn up your citizenship papers of the old government that used to reign your life, it doesn't mean that all of your old habits or inclinations or weaknesses or wounds instantly change. You absolutely can live inconsistently with the reality of the change of your citizenship. We can still be tempted. And so what happens is we live, in a, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that's calling out to us all over the place. Look at this. Come and live like this. It's trying to pull us back into this old way of living. And it's like, we, so it takes something quite firm in us to be like, no, I renounce that. I do not stand under that. This thing that's trying to pull me in, No. Jesus, I need your help. In the name of Jesus, I pray that I would not go that way. I need your strength. I need your help. I need your power. I need your spirit. That's where it goes to, isn't it? It's not, it's not just I'm going to try and summon up something in myself. It's like, Lord, let the flame of your spirit that is in me come alive. Let it burn. Let me see the way that you see. Lord, I'm looking at this situation. I've got a choice to look at it the way that the world looks at it. I've got a choice to look at it the way that you would look at it. And that's when change begins to happen because we go, Jesus, let me see with your eyes. I want to see this situation. How do you see it? And he's like, this is how I see it. Because he's already in us. It's really, really beautiful. Ephesians 4, to 24 says this. You were taught with regard to the former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So how do we get this change of reins? We get it by thinking differently. It's a change in our mind. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Romans 12, be renewed by the transformation of your mind. Then you will be able to know what goods, God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Can you see? It's like, oof. the whole way that I look at life changes. It's a new way of thinking. 
sometimes, if, I, if we're really honest, and I can feel like this, is we can feel quite alone in this journey of transformation. It's like, oh, it's lonely. How am I ever going to change? And actually, the Lord's like, you're not alone. You're not alone. It's a lie. He's there all of the time. Listen to what one, tes- one New Testament scholar, Doug Moo, says. He says, To walk according to the flesh, then, is to have one's life determined and directed by the values of this world, of the world in rebellion against God. It is the lifestyle that is purely human in its orientation. To walk according to the spirit, on the other hand, is to live under the control and according to the values of the new age, created and dominated by God's spirit as his end time gift. As we move through Romans, the language slightly changed. We started in the realm of Adam and the realm of Christ. As we move through chapter 6, we really look about this idea of being resurrected in Christ. You know, it's like we died the old way, the new way. As we move into chapter 8 of Romans, skipping over chapter 7 that Matt's dealing with next week. No, he's not actually, sorry. Chapter 7 is actually quite, it's quite a big chapter. We'll come to that a different day. But it's one of those that's like, I can't take on the whole chapter. Chapter 8 talks about, it's got different language. It talks about the realm of the flesh and the realm of the spirit. Same thing, spirit and flesh. Romans 8, 5 to 7 says this, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Five times the Apostle Paul talks about the set of our minds, talking about our mindset, how we think about the world. John Stott says this. John Stott was a brilliant preacher, hero of the faith. He said, the major secret of holy living lies in the mind. It's in the mind. Simon Ponsonby put it this way. It's often said that you are what you eat, but the Bible says you are what you think. Romans 8, 9, and 10, just moving through this passage says, you, whoever, and it's almost like this declaration over us, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. There we go. Again, it's like you are not at that anymore, but instead you are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Thinking and doing comes out of our being. Paul says, your inner being has been changed by the Spirit. Now think in accordance with that change. And if you do that, you'll become more Christ-like. So let's make this really, really practical. As I literally come into the final bit, it's like you are part of a new kingdom. You are called to think in a different way. Be renewed by the transformation of your mind. So how do we actually do it? We become like whatever we focus our hearts or minds on. I'm going to say that again. We become like whatever we focus our hearts and minds on. So let me give you a few examples. If you focus your heart and mind on money, what happens? You become greedy. Because that's where your focus, that's where your attention is going. It's like, I want more of this. That will lead to greed. If you focus our hearts and minds on success, what happens? We become ambitious. 
if you focus your hearts and minds on somebody else's possession or somebody else's life, you look at somebody else's life and you're like, that is amazing. What happens? You become covetousness. You get covetous. Like you look at their life and so you start to feel envious. You're like, I want that. Social media is one massive envy party. But it's true though, isn't it? It's literally like, you look at it and you're like, wow, your life looks amazing. My life looks rubbish. Enviousness. So if we focus on that, that's what happens to us. Focus your heart and mind on sex, what happens? We become lustful. Wherever you look, there is an outworking of where we put our focus and where we put our attention. Focus your heart and mind on Christ, what happens? You become Christ-like. It's really that simple. The writer of Hebrews tells us to engage, how to engage in this world that we find ourselves in. He says this, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is talking about Hebrews 11 and the fathers of the faith, let us throw off everything that hinders. It doesn't say throw off a few things that hinder. It's like throw off everything that would get in the way and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. How do we do that? By fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Simon Ponsonby again made this profound statement, what you are like shows what you are looking at. What you're like shows what you're looking at. So I want you to think for a moment, again, in my practical thinking, January, for you, if we were to do an audit of what you have looked at in January. No, but genuinely, like, where has, where has the gaze of your heart been? If I was to sit down and I was to look at your internet history or your social media or where you spent your time or your bank account, all of those things are a great way of looking at your life, by the way. <laughs> your bank account, what you spend your money on, your internet history will tell me what you value and it's where is you're looking if you were to do an audit where is the gaze of your life what does it fall on what would be the overriding thing because I think there's this call from Jesus he's like if you want to be Christ-like if you want to be more like me do you know what you have to do you have to look at me your gaze has to be upon me. There is no way to short circuit this. And it's not even something that's heavy. It's an invitation from Jesus. He's like, look to me. Look at me. I want to change you. I want you to look different. I want you to look more like me. And I've even put myself in you. So it's not even, sometimes when we think about looking to Jesus. It's almost like I'm going to look up into the sky. Jimmy, it's like, where are you? Where are you? You there? It's like, actually, the Spirit lives in us. Therefore, if we want to look more like him, what we have to do is say, where do you want me to look? How do you want me to be? And the closer that we can be with that internal Spirit that we've been given, and that's what it means when it talks like walk by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. It's just saying, look at me. Let me be your gaze. I'm going to finish with this. There was a guy called St. Patrick who was a saint who went to Ireland, St. Patrick, St. Patrick's Day, 
And he had an incredible ministry. Miracles, power, encounters. People came to faith in their droves. And he had this prayer that I think is absolutely beautiful. And you might have heard it before. But what if you, if you notice what it's all about, it's like Christ. He uses Christ rather than Jesus. But, and he says this, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of every man and woman who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man and woman who speaks of me, Christ in the eye that sees me, Christ in the ear that hears me. Can you see in that moment, it's like, oh, it's captivating Christ, Christ, Christ. He wants our attention. He wants the focus of our gaze to be upon him. And that is the invitation. If we want to look like him, if we want to live like Jesus, if we become who you are, how do we do that? We sit in the fact, I am a new creation. I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. And I start each day being like, I am no longer going to live like that. That's not who I am. I renounce that way of living. And Jesus, give me everything that I need to stand into this new kingdom. A kingdom of light, a kingdom of truth, a kingdom of power. Why don't you stand? If you've not been here before, we take a moment at the end of every service where we just say, it's really very simple. God, we need you. God, we need you to live like you in this world. And what we're saying is when we're saying Holy Spirit come, which is often what we do, it's like, God, would we be attentive to the spirit in our hearts? We want to see you. And so I'm going to invite the spirit right now. And I'd love it if you just open yourselves up and you're like, maybe even pray, set the spirit on fire inside of me. The spirit of the living God, we invite you right now. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Jesus, come. 